speaking of fun, moms and dads, what is more fun than having your kids in service with us? Huh? Kids actually did a great job for service. They did uh, wonderful. Kids, um, we have packets for you. Tyrone called them satchels. I don't know what a satchel is, but it's a cool word. So there are satchels in the back for you. Uh, in them are things to draw with, things to engage and and look at what we're reading in uh, the Bible. But kids, challenge for you, um, grab one of those packets. Inside, there are some white pages. Get on one of the clear white pages, and if you will take this challenge and draw a picture of the story we're going to walk, walk through today. It's a story of Jesus healing the paralytic man. If you will Draw a picture of that and then write your name on it and your age and put it in the offering bag at the end of the service. We will do a contest and we'll have some prizes next week for the high achievers. And so kids, if it looks like your mom or dad drew the picture, we might give you a call this week and just verify the authenticity of your submission. We'll have those next week. We'll be able to have them on screen and we'll have prizes, and parents, if you want a gift card to level up, go ahead. Who are we to discriminate? Um, I want to ask you a question this morning. The um, question is this. Uh, when you think about Jesus, when you think about Jesus, what is the picture that comes into your mind? And, and by that I mean, what do you envision him saying to you? What expectations of you does he have? What expectations of him do you have? What's he doing? What's he talking about? When you think about Jesus, what picture comes into your mind? And then just thinking about that idea, I came up with a few that I would say maybe are slightly off center, not exactly what Jesus wants for us, but maybe pictures that we have in our minds, and and maybe even we're unaware of that. And so one of the examples that I came up with uh, is Santa Claus Jesus, right? Santa Claus Jesus gives me everything that I want. Santa Claus Jesus rewards my good behavior with good gifts. And I feel close to Santa Claus Jesus when he's given me something, and I feel far from Santa Claus Jesus when he hasn't. Most of my communication, most of my prayer with Santa Claus Jesus centers around what do I want. Santa Claus Jesus. Uh, another one uh, might be uh, best friend Jesus. Best friend Jesus. Best friend Jesus always wants you to be happy. Best friend Jesus would never tell you you're wrong. Best friend Jesus would never disagree with you. You're always right. Everything you think is spot on. Everything you do is just the epitome of spiritual obedience. Best friend Jesus would never confront you, never tell you you're wrong, never disagree with you. You are right uh, all the time. How about uh, lifeguard Jesus? Or we have kids in the room. Superman Jesus, right? Superman Jesus. Superman Jesus always hears. He's got those Superman ears. He always hears when you need him. He might not be paying attention. He might be halfway across the planet or in an entirely different universe. But if you have a need and you call, Superman Jesus is there in a second, right? He's the 911 call. He is there in a second. When you don't need him, he goes about and does the other things that he does with his Superman Jesus life. Uh, But when you need him, he's ready to go. Uh, How about parent Jesus? Um, Parents do a lot of good things for us. 
kids in the room, parents do a lot of good things for you. You're probably especially excited about your parents because it was just Christmas and you may have got something that you liked. So you're obeying for at least three or four days uh, as a show of gratitude. Uh, Parents are good at a lot of things. Parents take care of us. Parents are thoughtful. Parents are a good example for us kids. Parents do all sorts of wonderful things. Uh, One thing that kids seem to not like across the board, kids, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or tell story, um, but that would be fun. Um, But I'm not going to do that. Um, But I bet, kids, at some point, your mother or your father has asked you to do something, and you gave them the look and the slump that says you clearly don't want to do what they asked you to do and so you asked why hoping in some way that that could lead to a way to get out of what they've asked you to do and when you asked why they said the dreaded words that you don't like because i said so and it made your skin crawl and it didn't help you didn't respond right away with i love you mom i love you dad yes mom yes dad yes ma'am yes sir Because you don't like anyone to have authority over your life. So parent Jesus is a good example, good teacher, good at a lot of things, good uh, good person to brainstorm with. We don't want to let him have authority over our lives. Ask you this question, what is the picture that you have in your minds when you think of Jesus? Because in Matthew 9, Matthew is really painting a picture of of who Jesus is. And and this is the picture that Jesus wants us to have, not the picture that that sometimes we have uh, that that takes us off trail, off course, off path into the weeds. And so uh, I hope this morning that one of the things that we're going to see is what is the picture of Jesus that he wants us to have? Why does that matter? Why does that matter? So we're going to walk through Matthew 9, the first nine verses together, and and kids will kind of just try to work through this. Um, as as a story some of you have had this story told to you read to you you've seen pictures of it maybe you've seen a flannel graph maybe you've drawn something on a coloring page but essentially jesus is teaching jesus is preaching jesus is healing he's doing all of these things and crowds are starting to follow people are starting to take notice people are interested and so now when he goes somewhere there's a big crowd so he's in Capernaum, kind of the home base for his ministry, right? If, if he lived in Roseburg, this is like he's downtown Roseburg. Uh, and, he, and he walks into a house, and he continues to teach, and he continues to preach, and he continues to do miracles. And the house is full, packed full of people. There is no room to sit. All the couches are full. All the standing space, there's people crammed in like sardines. There's nowhere to stand, nowhere to sit. The door is blocked. You can't get in. You can't get out. The windows, everyone's squeezed looking in the windows from the outside, no free space anywhere. And so these men who have this friend approach the house, and these men have a friend who is paralyzed. He's crippled. He can't move. He can't walk. And he's on a cot. He's on a bed. He's on a mat. And so these men are bringing their friend to Jesus. They've heard that he can do miracles. They've heard people say he's healed other people. So their friends think, well, why not? our friend so they bring their friend to jesus but they get to the house and they realize there's no way we're getting in that door there's no way we're getting in that house maybe they politely knocked some of you have done that before you politely knock nobody hears nobody is listening maybe they ask a few people hey can you move can you move and kind of like a line at a grocery store on black friday to get in first for a doorbuster no one is budging nobody is giving up their spot in line they want to get in 
and there's no space for them. So instead of uh, going home, they go up onto the roof, and they begin to peel off parts of the roof. And so if you're inside the house, you're seeing light start to come through uh, the roof. Uh, Parts of roof are, are maybe falling down, and you're going, what's going on? Is the roof caving in? You're about to bolt, and then a man on a cot is lowered into the room. Jesus looks at this man who's clearly, obviously, it's visible what his problem is, that he can't move, that he's crippled, that he's paralyzed. Jesus looks at the man, looks at the room, looks at the friends who dropped him in. Jesus says, man, your sins are forgiven. Maybe at this point, Jesus has a smile on his face. Jesus has just done something amazing. The guy's still on the cot, and I imagine that for this guy who wants to be healed, Jesus doesn't heal him yet. Jesus just says, your sins are forgiven. I imagine it's like when my kids on Halloween go to a house, and they're hoping for candy, and someone opens up the door, smiles, and hands them a toothbrush. Okay, They wanted candy. They got a toothbrush. Nothing against a toothbrush. We actually really like toothbrushes. Kids always fight over them every night. They expected candy, and they got a toothbrush. This man expects to be healed. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Um, Imagine he has a puzzled look on his face. You know who's not puzzled? The religious leaders. Religious leaders are not puzzled at all. They're fuming. Jesus sees into their hearts. Jesus knows what they're thinking. That's a terrifying thought, isn't it? Jesus knows what they're thinking. He knows the questions. He knows the doubts. He knows what they're thinking. He looks at him and says, why, why do you entertain these evil thoughts? He says, what's easier, to tell this man to rise up and walk or to say your sins are forgiven? I imagine they don't answer. I imagine they're already going, oh, we're in trouble. How can we get out? They're looking for a way out the same way that Jesus' friends were looking for a way in. Can't find one. They're stuck. Jesus says, so that you might know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And he looked at the man and he says, raise up, rise up, pick up your mat, and go home. The man goes home, and the crowd goes wild. It says they marveled, and they were praising God. Now, uh, for a little context, this is Matthew chapter 9, which is which follows Matthew chapter 8. And so Matthew, the author, has topically arranged accounts of miracles that Jesus has done to show us that Jesus has power over all things. So he has shown us that Jesus has power over the natural world. Jesus has calmed the storm. He shows us that Jesus has power over the supernatural world. Jesus has cast out demons. He shows us that Jesus has power over our life, over our body, over death over sickness, over disease. And and sometimes we think that's uh, just something for our kids until as adults we deal with infertility. And then all of a sudden we forget that Jesus has power over all things, including our bodies, until we deal with mental illness, anxiety, uh, depression, and we forget all of a sudden that Jesus has power over all things, including our bodies, until we wrestle with the loss of life, um, until we lose a job then we are reminded that our picture has shifted a bit because we feel like we're on alone. We feel like we're alone on an island and we forget that Jesus has power over all things. Um, 
Kids, maybe it's useful to you to think about your favorite superhero. Would any kid be willing to raise their hand and tell us a favorite superhero? Otherwise, I'm going to stand here like this really awkwardly for a while. Someone like Jace bails me out with a superhero, like Jace, who bails me out. Any kid willing to? No pressure, but someone first hour said Jesus. (laughs) So you don't even stand a chance, second hour kids. I'm, I'm sorry. Any superheroes? Any? None? Okay. I'll pay you back later for this, kid. Just <laughs> at VBS, actually. Um, for our kids, the movies we watch, Batman, Superman, all this power, but if Superman's near Krypton, uh, Kryptonite, he loses it all. Batman has all this power, but if he loses his gadgets and his car and his tools and his toys, he doesn't have a lot of power. And so Matthew is helping shape our picture of Jesus. Matthew is helping us understand how to think about who Jesus is, that he has power over all things. Uh, We're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 9 and read in, but I just want just to see that Jesus sees their hearts. Jesus sees our hearts. He sees my heart. He sees your heart. Jesus also sees the big picture. He sees the big picture in my life. He sees the big picture in your life. Uh, Let's read from Matthew 9. We'll read the first five verses. Matthew is the has the shortest account. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record this story. Matthew's account is the shortest, and it focuses on question, or verses 4 and 5, where Jesus asks that enormous question um, for the purpose of drawing attention to this misconception that these people had of him and Jesus' effort to paint a picture of who he is. That's his picture, not their misconstrued picture. Matthew 9, 1 through 5. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and he came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. Kids, blaspheming means saying he is one with God, saying he is God. Behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up and walk. Rise up and walk. Let's talk about this man on the cot first. He is paralyzed. He's crippled. So he's hopeless today and hopeless tomorrow. He's not waiting on a doctor's appointment in a month to get good news. Things are bad now. Things have always been bad and things are going to always be bad. He is hopeless to do anything to better his own circumstances. He is entirely dependent on others for everything that he needs. And it's interesting as he walks in, Jesus clearly sees what's wrong with this man. A significant thing. I mean, some of us have had the flu this last week or have had kids with the flu and we think the world is about to end. This guy's paralyzed. Jesus sees what is going on, sees his temporary, sees his physical needs, and Jesus is instantly alerted. Jesus instantly knows that he has a deeper spiritual need. The man sees his physical need. Jesus sees his physical need and his spiritual need. Jesus cares about his physical need and his spiritual need. Not just that, but Jesus often works in us for his glory and our highest good, but also for the good of everybody around us who's watching. 
Jesus sees the faith of this man, the faith of his friends who brought him, and he looks around and he sees the room. He sees the doubters in the room. He sees the confused in the room. He sees those who are curious but who are not following. He sees those who have come to catch a glimpse of a show but really aren't serious. He sees all of it. Jesus has a bigger picture in mind. And and so for those of you, and, and probably everyone falls into this category at some level, who right now have something that is preoccupying most of your focus with Jesus. You're asking him to do something for you. There's something that's broken that you want him to fix. There's something specific that you need him to do. I would just encourage you to consider that one of the things that seems to be true about how Jesus works is he often uses physical needs, often uses needs that we can see and feel to alert us to more significant spiritual needs Not that he ignores the physical need, but that the spiritual thing is what he is working and doing in the midst of our need. And then then that reality that he sees our hearts and he sees the big picture. Um, How about the big picture? How about those religious leaders? Um, Mark 2 is one of the parallel accounts of this story. Mark 2 records, so does Luke actually, records this response from these religious leaders who initially are upset and they're fuming inside. And then Jesus points out what they've not said. They're cowards. They haven't said it, but they're thinking it. Jesus points it out. And Mark 2, 6 and 7 record their thoughts. It says this in Mark 2, verse 6. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming, blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus heard their unbelieving thoughts. He saw their stubborn hearts. These are individuals who have refused to consider the evidence in front of them. They have seen his miracles they have heard him teach they have heard him preach but they refuse to consider the evidence in front of them because they cling so tightly to the illusion of power to the illusion of control to the illusion of authority to life as they want it on their terms to the way it's always been to their tradition they are clinging so tightly to that that they cannot see who it is that is right in front of them who in verse four and five is now speaking directly to them. Jesus says, I'm either a fraud or I'm God. I'm either a fraud or I'm God. He asks this question. What's easier? Raise this man who's crippled or forgive this man's sins? If Jesus is a fake, it's a lot easier to say your sins are forgiven because nobody can see that. If Jesus is a fake, it's a lot harder to say to this clearly crippled man on the floor, rise up and walk, because if the clearly crippled man on the floor doesn't rise up and walk, Jesus is immediately exposed as a fraud. If he's the real deal, altogether different. If Jesus is the real deal, then it's really easy to say, man, rise up and walk. No sweat. But, oh, if he's the real deal, and he says, your sins are forgiven, now he's claiming to be God, right? Now he's claiming to be one with God. Of course, they come unhinged. And so Jesus sees the faith of the man on the cot and his friends. 
Jesus sees the faithlessness of the religious leaders, and he sees the big picture. So he asks them this question, and now he's going to make his point. Jesus sees the big picture and sees their heart. Now Jesus shows his rescuing power from Matthew uh, 5, 6, 7, and 8. For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and he went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. They glorified God who had given such authority to men. Jesus proves to them, he says, so that the you might know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins on earth. And he tells the man to get up and walk. Jesus proves that he's not Santa Claus Jesus. He's not just wanting to give them shiny new toys. He proves that he's not just best buddy Jesus who would never say anything difficult, never do anything that would say that you're not right and your ideas are awesome and everything you think and do is just perfect. He proves that he's not Superman Jesus. He shows us that he is Son of God Jesus, second person of the Trinity Jesus, fully God Jesus, and his purpose that he came to take away the sins of the world. Jesus shows us who he is. Matthew thoughtfully arranges it in the context of his power and authority over all things. When we get that, it changes how we approach Jesus. If we once approached Jesus as Santa Claus saying, gimme, 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 shiny toy, shiny toy, shiny toy, I've been good, gimme, gimme, shiny toy, shiny toy, shiny toy. Now we come to Jesus and we understand he doesn't have a red bag with little packages. He wants to give us eternal life. He wants to restore us to himself. He wants to give us victory, freedom in this life and perfectly forever in the next Uh, from sin. It changes the way that we relate to him. It changes the things that we come to him, the things we ask him for, the way that we talk to him. When we get this, we don't just call on him in times of crisis, like lifeguard Jesus or Superman Jesus. When we get that he is our daily bread, the sustenance needed for life and for faith, every day, that he walks with us. It's a relationship. It's a journey. It's not just a 911 call when I lost my job, uh, I'm drowning in life, I got bad health news, I'm broke. Uh, We don't just cry out when we're in need. It changes. We we come to him daily because he walks with us daily. I love that the lyric in the first song that we sung includes uh, that he's our daily bread. If you haven't heard that song before, it's by a band called King's Kaleidoscope. I think they're out of Seattle, but Uh, One of the lyrics for that song says this. um, It says, uh, His will be done. His kingdom come on earth as above, who is himself our daily bread. Praise him, the Lord of love. He is our daily bread. Praise him, the Lord of love. We get him every day, not just in crisis. We walk with him every day, not just in crisis. It changes the way that we interact, relate, and walk with Jesus. If we related to him as parent Jesus, where we consulted with him to get good advice, we considered his viewpoint, we looked at him as a good example and someone who is helpful to us, but who we want to 
not give authority over our lives, when we get that he is son of God, second person of the Trinity, Jesus, who came to take away the sins of the world, he gets authority. His words become authoritative over our lives. We no longer have this posture where we listen to what he says, and if it makes sense, then we do it. Or we listen to what he says, and if we're comfortable with it, and we like the idea, then we obey it. His words become authoritative. He is Jesus, son of God, came to take away the sins of the world. Jesus reveals, Jesus shows this rescuing power uh, by healing this man, by doing it in a way that points to the fact that he can also forgive sins, that he has power over the natural world, power over the supernatural world, one with God. He also does it in another unique way. He refers to himself as the Son of Man. Some of you are familiar with this title. Jesus is often called Christ or Messiah or Jesus uh, by others, but he often refers to himself as the Son of Man. It's a unique title. We believe that it has its origins in Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7, when we went through the book of Daniel, is one of everybody's favorite chapters because it's beasts and it's horns and it's visions and it's all these confusing things that are really interesting. Uh, But the context for Daniel 7 is Daniel is in Babylon, a wicked city where no one wants to be, a reminder that wickedness has prevailed, God's people have not, uh, evil seems to be thriving. Daniel has this vision, and in the vision, these four beasts rise up, four kingdoms, and essentially those four kingdoms are dispatched by the Father, and then Daniel, in the vision, sees one described as the Son of Man riding on the clouds. Uh, If you have your Bibles, turn to Daniel 7. One time I don't put a marker in my Bible. Daniel is in here. I'm not making it up. Daniel seven, thirteen and fourteen. Then I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of the Days, or to the Father, and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Does it sound at all like what Mary said to, what the angel said to Mary when Jesus' birth was announced? His kingdom would be forever, and his dominion would not be destroyed. And so Jesus alludes to this title. Jesus uses it as a reference for himself in the New Testament often, and it refers to his divine power, his divine authority, that he is one with God and with God. It refers to his forever kingly role, that he will rule forever and ever and ever in Babylon, where it appeared that evil had won We're reminded that Jesus wins forever. And so Jesus uses this title to help take the people's perspective, to help change the people's picture of who he was and what he should do, and paint a new picture to help them better understand why he came. Remember, they wanted him to become king now. Jesus says, I I don't need to be king now. I'm going to rule forever. I'm establishing an eternal kingdom. It doesn't matter which Caesar sits on the throne at the moment. They wanted to be rescued from Roman occupation. He wants to change that 
perspective, he wants to change that picture and remind them that he came to rescue them from the power of sin, from the power of the enemy, from the consequences of their sin, their distance from God in this life and forever in the next. They were totally preoccupied with what they wanted him to do right now. Jesus uses this title to set that aside so he can paint a picture of who he is, his eternal kingdom, and what he truly came to rescue them from. What's the point? Uh, Everyone in this story seems to have a misconstrued picture of who Jesus is. Think about the man on the cot and his four friends for a minute. Man on the cot and his four friends. They know enough about Jesus to know that they want to get there, right? They know enough about Jesus that he can do something special, but they get there and they ask for physical healing. Jesus offers not just a physical band-aid, he offers a spiritual cure. They asked for the wrong thing. Jesus wanted to do something bigger than what they asked for. They were aware of their physical needs, unaware of their spiritual needs. Jesus wanted to do something bigger than what they were even asking for. When you have an incomplete view of Jesus, you tend to ask for the wrong things. Jesus wants to do more for us than what we tend to ask for. Jesus wants to do bigger things for us than what we ask for. Jesus doesn't not care about the physical need. But Jesus wants to heal us for eternity. Jesus doesn't not care about what's broken now, but he wants to fix what is eternally broken. When you have the wrong view of Jesus, you tend to ask for the wrong things. When you have the wrong view of Jesus, um, you tend to miss what he's called you to. Uh, You have the crowds. The crowds are fickle. Crowds follow Jesus. They hear his preaching, hear his teaching, see his miracles. They've seen it all. There's no lack of, of evidence here, uh, but they've really missed what he's called them to do. They, they're interested. They're curious. They, they attend various things that Jesus does and is at, and, the, and they watch, and they're interested. And when he does a miracle, they clap, and they're excited. There's enthusiasm. There's passion. If they were here, they might be in the front row raising their hands, singing, so excited, but they always tend to go away. They rarely seem to follow. They've missed what he's called them to. When you have the wrong view of God, you tend to miss what he's asked of you. You tend to miss what he's called you to, and then you miss the benefits of his calling. Um, The last are the religious leaders. Uh, Religious leaders had clung so tightly to that illusion of control and power and authority and tradition and life as they knew it, special position of honor they had in society they had from their vantage point so much to lose that they couldn't let go and so they clung to the wrong things they clung to their trend their traditions they clung to their preconceived notions about who jesus was and what he would do and how he would go about his business Uh, they clung to the positions in society Uh, that they had. They refused to let go, and by refusing to let go, they eventually will lose everything. When you have the wrong picture of of Jesus, uh, you tend to cling to the wrong things. See, from the man on the cot, when you have the wrong view of Jesus, you tend to ask for the wrong things. From the crowd, when you have the wrong view of Jesus, you tend to miss what he's called you to. From the religious leaders, when you have the wrong view of Jesus, you tend to cling to to the wrong thing. So I just want to ask you this morning, um, do you resonate with any of those characters um, in the story? 
how has Jesus shown himself as the rescuing ruler to you? Where he has showed you that he sees your heart in the big picture and has shown you his rescuing power. Uh, for me, just one specific brother uh, comes to mind. Five to ten years of great pain and suffering, poor choices. It was his fault. It was no one else's fault. He wouldn't disagree if he was standing right here. Um, I was the lucky brother who got the phone calls in the middle of the night. Um, those were fun. Um, got all of the regret, all of the mourning, all of the uh, why is life this way, all of the fear about potential repercussions from whatever happened the day before or, or the night before. And so when you're in that role, you tend to think what has been will always be. You tend to think that uh, this person is too far gone. You tend to think that because at this point they have no Jesus interest in Jesus, that he has no interest in them. Uh, and, and so it's special then to reflect on how the Lord snagged, uh, grabbed, took hold of my brother. My brother didn't reach out for help. Uh, God took hold of him. And so it's a reminder to me that no one's ever too far gone to be rescued by Jesus' love, by Jesus' power. You can't run far enough away from him that his long arms can't reach to pull to pull you back. How has Jesus shown himself to you as a rescuing ruler, a son of God who came to take away the sins of the world, who has power over all things? Maybe, uh, maybe you've known the Lord for a long time. Uh, maybe in some ways you're like those uh, four friends who brought their friend to Jesus. They could not find a way in, right? They could not find a hole in the building, a hole in the door, a hole in the crowd to get in. So they made a hole on the roof. They found a way in. They would not let anything keep them from Jesus. What, uh, what in your life is keeping you from Jesus? What in your life has become a distraction? What in your life has become an excuse to quit trying? You've allowed it to keep you from Jesus. You think those four buds, you think that friend, that guy that was on the cot, really happy that they didn't quit, really happy that they didn't get deterred when people said, get out of here, when people said, there's no way in, the, the house is full. They couldn't find a way to get in. They couldn't find a hole to get in. They made one in the roof. What's keeping you from Jesus this morning? Uh, if you resonate with any of those characters, uh, Ty Tyrone said, we're getting started with a new year. It's a great time. It's a great, great time to be refocused. It's a great time to be reminded of Jesus' power. It's a great time to be reminded what he has for you, that he wants something bigger for each of us than usually what we want for or ask for for ourselves. Let's ask the Lord to give us those eyes to see his work, to give us eyes to see that he sees us, sees our hearts, sees the big picture, that he's working in us, but also for the benefit of everyone around us. So if that's you, would you allow people around you to be part of that? Would you be a part of men's, women's, home group somewhere, come forward, prayer team afterwards, do something to allow people to be part of that? It's really hard for others to see what God's doing in your life when you keep it to yourself. It's also really hard for God to speak into your life when you keep it to yourself. Let's pray. Thank you, God, that you are, are so patient with us, and so uh, we confess that we uh, repeatedly ask you for the wrong things, and we are, we are selfish, uh, we are prideful, we are arrogant in the way that we demand things from you, and, and we're grateful that you are gracious towards us and that you are benevolent and kind towards us in spite of the way sometimes we approach you. Lord, we confess that, um, that we have in so many ways missed what you've called us to, and, and we expect you to, 
to make things easy and we expect you to, to make everything just as we would like it. Um, and Lord, you've called us to follow. May we be followers. May we not just be persons who are spiritually amused. May we not just be people who intellectually agree with some of the things that you said. Lord, may we feel the full weight of the authoritative voice of Jesus, Son of God, came to take away the sins of the world. May we be followers. Lord, for those of us here this morning who refuse to look at the evidence in front of us, like the religious leaders, refuse to consider the evidence in front of us because of what they feared it would cost them, may we see, Lord, that we have nothing in this life that is not worth losing to gain you forever. Lord, I pray that you would just chisel away at that outer facade. May we respond as followers this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.